0: Hello friends and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. It's Meg here as always and I am so grateful for you joining me on the show this week. We have a very special guest on the show with me this week, but before I introduce you to her, I just want to say hello and give you a few updates about my life, what I'm up to, that sort of thing. So I actually got this episode ready for you. Actually, I got this week's episode ready and also next week's episode ready for you before I left for a little bit of a getaway. My parents and I actually flew out to BC yesterday, so on Tuesday. This is coming out on Wednesday, the 17th of August. So my parents and I flew to BC so my mom and I could go wedding dress shopping with my godmother and my maid of honor. When I got engaged, I was chatting with my mom and shared with her that if I could kind of create my ideal wedding dress shopping crew, I said obviously I'd want her and then her sister, which is my aunt, and her and I have always been super close, and then also my maid of honor which is my aunt's daughter-in-law. So anyways, I was telling my mom all of this and she was like, well, why don't we just go to BC and go dress shopping there? So it kind of just worked out perfectly because we haven't really been anywhere this summer. Like I haven't taken any time off of work for the summer and i just really haven't gone anywhere this summer. We've stuck pretty close to home. I've had a friend come visit me from Washington DC, but other than that, this summer has been although like very exciting with the engagement and everything like that. It's been really exciting and such a great summer, but we really haven't done anything. So Scott is staying at home, working away as he does, and he's on daddy duty with Penny back home, but I'm really grateful to have been able to take this trip with my parents and I will be sure to keep you updated on all things like wedding related and dress shopping related. I was thinking this could be a really good topic for a future podcast episode like I don't know, reflections on wedding dress shopping because like I said I just feel like this could be a really cool topic because I have done so much body image healing and body image work throughout the past many years and I've come very far in my body image and self-love healing journey and this is actually obviously what I support my clients through on a daily basis. And I've had a few clients over the past like few months, just recently working with them, who have been like navigating the whole like wedding planning experience and also therefore like dress shopping. And it's just been really cool for me to support them through that and now like going through it myself I'm recording this intro prior to wedding dress shopping but I feel like I'll have a lot of reflections for all of you just because I can already anticipate like how I would have felt wedding dress shopping prior to all of the healing work that I've done so anyways just Keep your eyes open for a future podcast episode about that. But honestly, if you have any other podcast requests, please send them my way. You can contact me directly at hello at megdoll.com. I have my email address always linked up for you in the show notes as well. Um, and just as a heads up, next week I am putting together or next week I will be releasing a solo podcast episode talking about a very important topic. So I'm really excited for that to release, but Let's talk about today's episode because I have been so excited to share today's guest with you and also just share our conversation with you. So I have been friends with our guest, Jen, who now goes by JJ, as we talk about in today's show, but she is my friend from many years back. We actually met when I was in high school, so this was like even pre-2010, <laughs> so we've been friends for much over a decade and I'm just so proud of us for maintaining our friendship all these years because We have never... Actually, that's a lie. We lived in the same city once for a very brief period of time when we were both living in London, Ontario, going to university. But I don't know. It's just... She's just, like, such a cool friend of mine because our lives have always, like, intertwined in some way. And we always just, like, make a priority of keeping each other in our lives. So anyways, I've been following along with Jen's journey as she has been going through med school and then I saw that she created this brand called The Autistic MD. And that definitely stopped me in my tracks because I could see right there that she had something really incredible to share. And that she was like on a mission to do something. And also I was kind of like, how has the autistic MD handle or like that brand name, how has that not been taken already? So anyways, you are going to get to know my friend so well throughout this episode. She talks about her experience with going through med school as someone who has autism or someone who is on the spectrum and how that impacted her experience through med school. So I really do think that this podcast episode could be beneficial for those of you who have autism or have like this feeling that... Maybe this is something that is, you know, pertains to your life or that you resonate with it. Um, So it could be one of you listening that resonates with something in that area. But also for those of you going through med school right now and, you know, maybe there's overlap with Jen in that way. So I think there's a lot of you that are going to really enjoy this episode today and I hope you have a lot of takeaways. I'm sure there will be and just a big thanks for Jen for joining us on the show this week. And we have all of her links in the show notes as always. And if you're listening and loving the show, please take a screenshot of you listening and post it to social media. And you can find me and tag me at immagdoll and you can tag Jen at the Autistic MD. Thanks everyone. Hey, Jen. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on with me this week. I'm definitely honored. (laughs) So I need to let everyone know just because I like doing a little bit of a more personal intro when we start the show but you and I have known each other for such a long time and we were kind of just talking about this when I was asking you like okay how do you want me to introduce you on the show because I know you go by JJ now like and even your fiance like he calls you JJ and I have never called you that in my entire life I just always say Jen and yeah. you said you know if you've met me like after 2012 2013 that's basically when people started calling you JJ and I was like wow I've known you for a really long time you're that's part of the- so wild. Yeah pre-JJ era. (laughs) So crazy. So welcome to the show, Jen. I'm so excited to have you on and talk about what you're doing um, as a new doctor (laughs) these days and just (laughs) kind of like your vision. Um, We're going to talk about autism and how that shows up in your life and just kind of like your work in that area. But if you want to kind of take over now and just give yourself a little bit of an intro for those that are just meeting you today for the first time.
1: Yeah, so um, I will say before I start, one of my challenges with autism is that I often talk at people for a really long time before, you know, not really even ever realizing they haven't said a word at all so definitely feel free to interrupt to maintain proper back and forth conversation and flow of the podcast
0: hey this is so much better than me asking you a question and you giving me a one-word answer and then I'm like trying to pull words out of you so talk as much as you want that is so welcome here we get more than you bargain for with that but
1: okay yeah and I have I have a Word document open in front of me, and the only words on it are, let Meg talk. (laughs) I think you can delete that. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm JJ. Um, I, uh, how would I describe myself? I guess I was a social worker first, before I went to med school, and um, I'd really always thought about going into medicine. And after a couple of years of work experience, decided to give it a go, um, got accepted, and uh, throughout the MD program, um, it became apparent to me that there are many challenges faced by not only those on the spectrum, but also those with other disabilities. And so, um, sort of I'll, I'll kind of take you guys through a bit of a tale of really what solidified my motivation and and desire behind the autistic MD sort of project I don't know if that's enough about me I think I'm getting a little bit awkward around the talking about myself
0: bit hey, but I know saying I'll like introduce understand. yourself can be pretty <laughs> challenging even for me like even when I'm a guest on podcasts, it's like oh gosh where do I even start but basically I can let everyone know you know you and I have been friends for well over a decade I would say I guess just based off of the name transformation that we just like clarified, but we've been friends for so many years and you've gone through med school. And then I recently noticed that you started an Instagram account called the autistic MD. And I was like, Hey, what is she doing with this? I have clients and people in my life that are moving through their journey of, just like learning how to navigate life as they have recently found out that they do have autism and that's something they're, you know, learning about themselves and stuff. And I just thought I would love to have you on the show to talk all about this and what your vision is for the autistic MD. So,
1: And yeah, and I guess before I launch into that, one thing that came up in my head as you were saying that is how autism looks so different in every single person um, I myself before I was diagnosed had a lot of misconceptions about what it looked like to be autistic and, <clears throat> and furthermore um you have a lot of people who were you know I was born in 1989 and at that point you know in the 90s family doctors weren't screening for autism um, in kids who did not have an intellectual disability or a language delay typically you know if you weren't raising a concern of some kind uh, you wouldn't get diagnosed you know things have changed drastically since then but I think a lot of adults particularly women in their 20s 30s and 40s are now getting diagnosed Um, and so I think it's it's really reframing what we think about autism and what it means to be autistic. Yeah. yeah. Do you
0: want to maybe talk about some of those misconceptions or what people assume autism to look like? Yeah, I, I think, I think people,
1: uh, there's a predominant stereotype that, you know, of, of the autistic person is as, you know, being completely nonverbal or lacking intelligence. And um, my experience is that every single autistic person I've ever met is, you know, extremely intelligent in their own way. Um, Even if, you know, (laughs) their IQ isn't measured on a conventional, you know, scale that we would think about when we're measuring intelligence. Maybe that's not high, but there are other wonderful skills and talents that they have. and so, you know, I think we're primed to look at uh, autism as a, a disorder of deficits, but I just, you know, I don't see it that way at all. And I think if people um, knew a little bit more about it, they wouldn't see it that way. I'm, I myself, when I was um, um, on my clinical rotations, which I'll explain in a few minutes what that means, but essentially I was... Um, On a family medicine rotation and someone made an offhand comment about how they would never want an autistic child and I just thought it was so funny because this person had several minutes prior to that statement praised me for how well I was doing on the rotation and I'm sure they had no idea I was autistic because you know um, I tend to mask certain things uh, when I'm dealing with people in a professional setting but um anyways I thought that was kind of funny and it really represents that
0: view that people have yeah like the stigma and also just how people don't understand it right Mm -hmm. and how a lot of it
1: is is invisible you know I'm very gregarious and social you you may mistake those qualities for uh you know as I guess um incongruent with with autism but the thing is, a lot of the things that I experience, only myself or, or those in my immediate family, like my fiance or my parents, or, or certainly my best friend, who's known me my whole life, would ever see things like sensory sensitivities. Um, uh, you know, things like conflict at home, like there's all kinds of things that happen under the surface that that are not visible to anyone and that you can certainly hide if that's um, what you're hoping to do, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I do want to maybe go back to some of those things, like you mentioned, sensory sensitivity, like just talking about some of those characteristics or like the qualities that now you're, you're looking back and, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And this is also related to having autism, but you said something even before this, and it's something that I know myself too, is that, okay, so most women like autism, it kind of flies more under the radar for women. Is that correct? And why? uh there
1: are many women who are not uh, diagnosed, you know, the same way, or, or even little boys and little girls, you know, they're not diagnosed in the same way. And in fact, um, there's some literature to suggest that um, autism in in women is often misdiagnosed previously with other things like personality disorders, um, mood disorders. So, you know, there's, um I mean, the same can be said for a lot of things in the DSM. There's, there's obviously a cultural component to how we view um, uh, any disorder, you know, in that book. But uh, I think that um, for whatever reason, uh, boys, young boys are, are diagnosed to a greater extent than girls. And that hopefully that trend will reverse itself at some point. But um, I do know, you know, uh, full disclosure, I was diagnosed <clears throat> as an adult. And uh, the psychologist—this is anecdotal evidence, obviously—but the psychologist who diagnosed me said that she was, um, you know, had so many uh, female clients again in their 20s, 30s, and 40s um, who are are just now starting to think, like, hmm, like maybe I'm on the spectrum. Let's look into this, right? And they have to themselves realize and identify that quality in themselves, which is—that's a whole other can of worms. It's a very difficult thing to do, but. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that, hmm, maybe I am on the spectrum, like those types of thoughts, you know, how did that maybe show up in your life? Or what are some of those things that might be presenting themselves in other people's lives that might make them start to think, like you said before, even like that sensory sensitivity, right? Yeah. So, um, so, uh, for
1: anyone who has autism, that, that by definition, the disorder has to start in childhood. Now, of course, if you're diagnosed as an adult, this is all retrospectively. So, um, based on conversations that I've had with both of my parents, um, my best friend from growing up, and then my own recollections and self reports, uh, for myself, I was able to identify a number of different things, like starting from um, sensory sensitivities as a child. I remember my mom telling me that if I would get my socks on so the seam wasn't perfectly on my toes I would throw a tantrum and it's funny like why Hmm, that's a it's a bit extreme I wonder why no one looked into that or like you know as a six year old I refused to wear underwear for a whole year because I didn't like the feeling on my skin but I don't think I had the language to communicate that so my (laughs) parents I'm sure just thought I was like a gross little kid it's like funny in retrospect but the psychologist who diagnosed me again was like this that is significant right these things and yeah. Um,
0: so I actually want to pause you there and just like do a yeah. personal share because I know, I mean, I'm so transparent with my listeners and my audience here, but you and I were talking beforehand, like you and I had a Zoom chat and just like caught up after such a long time of not chatting like one-on-one I mean you were going through med school so you were a little occupied but anyways we were talking about some of these things and the two examples that you just shared the like the seam in the socks you know I also could not wear socks and to this day I maybe wear socks like once a year but when I was young like I had to wear them inside out so that seam didn't touch my toes and then I also like could not wear underwear it was like (laughs) I have this memory of going to school my parents driving me to school I mean I must have been in grade one so I was like six or seven years old my parents asked me if I was wearing underwear and I was like, no. And then they drove me back home. So I had to put underwear on. And, you know, after having that conversation with you and just realizing that and talking about with you, how that was all connected to like autism for you. Right. I brought this up to my parents and I was like, Hey, you know how I used to do this and this like, did it ever make you wonder like, is this normal? Or, you know, like, did you have any thoughts about me having these like certain little quirks, you know? And they said, no, like they were just like, not at all. You know, like that's just like, they just thought it was like who I was. And again, like I do not have a diagnosis. I just think it's so fascinating that you shared those examples with me and I was like, whoa, I did that too.
1: It also brings up like a really beautiful point, which is um, I think any human behavior exists on a spectrum and uh, there isn't a, such a discrete line between autistic and not autistic as we think. And furthermore, the second point I think that brings up is um, there's a, there's a line in the DSM that says in order to get diagnosed with a disorder, then it has to, you have to have the functional impairment piece, right? So yeah, for you, they're just like, frankly, hilarious eccentricities. Um, and for someone else, if it exists in a constellation of other symptoms that are causing impairment, um, then now we're looking at, okay, is this, you know, um, an official diagnosis, but it really that really breaks down. Yeah. That really breaks down the barrier between Um, autistic versus not autistic
0: right so what does that look like right the like how it's like affecting you in your day-to-day life right because yeah not like for you personally but or it doesn't have to be but you know what you said like In order to get a diagnosis, it, you know, like, okay, so you and I both had these like funny little things that we did when we were younger, right? But in order to actually get a diagnosis, it has to be affecting you in a different way. Exactly, exactly. And then
1: um, there's kind of four major categories for autism spectrum disorder. Um, Sensory sensitivities would be one of the four categories. Um, You have to have sort of like, functional deficits occurring from symptoms in at least two of the four categories. So, um, you know, let's say you had sensory stuff and you also had repetitive ritualistic behaviors in a, you know, special interests and in, in certain things in life in another category. And those worked to them, to those things together, causing functional impairment. Then we're looking at, is this looking more like a diagnosis, but on its own, you could probably find anyone who has you call them quirks, I guess. Like
0: right, that. right. And we could, yeah, exactly. So the sensory sensitivities. So you've talked about like the socks, the seam in the socks, right? Wearing underwear, that sort of thing. What else can that look like? I think this would be really interesting for people to talk yeah. about. And I'll I'll draw a lot from my personal experience for this. And I know there's
1: people who experience plenty of other symptoms that, you know, I don't. But um, for a lot of autistic people and for myself, um, bright lights are an issue. So one thing Jared and I notice a lot at home is if he, like, leaves a light on and it's, like, the wrong one, I'll be like, turn it off. (laughs) Or um, uh, sounds for sure. And that's a big thing for me, too. Um, Could be... um, like loud noises but for me specifically it's more so like unpredictable loud noise so I was on when I was on my psychiatry rotation for example there were a couple of patients with who were having psychotic episodes and they were both screaming quite loudly and it was just not knowing when it was going to come next um, and that anticipatory uh, fear of the noise Um, there's you know um, tactile so we've talked a lot about that so um, like the socks and underwear for some people it's certain uh you know like uh textures of clothing um it could be the way someone touches you personally um i if someone touches my back uh i depending on where i am i'll react you know uh different way i can definitely keep it together in public but it it, if i'm at home and you know it happens um i just want to curl up into a ball and just uh, I, I can't, I can't even explain the feeling. It is like, I want to crawl out of my skin. It's so horrible. Um, so that's, that's something that happens for some people is the the way that you're touched is really important. It could be a certain body part. It could be a certain type of touch. Um, so those would be some examples. I'm sure there's more that I'm not thinking of as, um, maybe they're ones that I, d- I don't experience, but those would be some examples.
0: Awesome. And then, Um, the other category that you mentioned, like where you have like special interests and like fixations and stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, repetitive and ritualistic behaviors. um, I I may not be uh, like naming the categories correctly, um, because I'm not looking at the DSM right now, but I'll, I'll kind of go off my memory. So I know there's things like, like a lot of autistic people will have special interests. So Again, these are things no one would ever know about me if they didn't ask. And I probably wouldn't share because I'm also like self-aware and know it's weird. But like, I'm obsessed with the British royal family, (laughs) like really obsessed. Like, I know a lot, like I've made a flashcard deck of all the kings going back to, of England, sorry, kings of England going back to, you know, anyways, many centuries ago. And I haven't done it yet because I actually think the thing that limits my special interests the most is medicine because medicine is in its own write a special interest in that demands almost all of my time. But if, if I had the time and that wasn't artificially being limited, I would, I would literally like never stop <laughs> learning about the royal family. I think it's so interesting. Um, and yeah, you know, for, for kids that might look different, it might be, you know, you see some autistic kids who are maybe really into Lego or, you know, really into gosh, I don't know, dinosaurs. Right. So you have, you have things that you become interested in and, and just, become very interesting to you. And um, yeah. And then the other, there's a, there's another category of kind of like the deficits in communication. And um, I actually have a lot personally in this area uh, that might surprise people. Um, And again, I'm able to kind of mask that a bit, but uh, Jared, who's around my partner or fiance now, I guess (laughs) he, (laughs) Um, you know, he could speak to that, but things like talking and just not realizing it's not a conversation or um I I do say things um that are frankly pretty rude and blunt at times and I don't really think about it and it's just it's not because I don't know that it could be perceived as rude I'm not like totally not aware it's just like you know you weigh the pros and cons of does this need to be said and I'm like yeah I mean it's true so it it needs to be said and there's this kind of for me at least this pursuit of the truth above all else so it's like if it's rude it if it's true, then it's worth it. So that's kind of where that comes from for me. There's a lot more deficits since, you know, um, eye contact is obviously a really commonly known one in this category. So, um, you know, I mask this you know, pretty significantly by forcing myself to look at people. But if I had my way, I would probably never look at people unless I knew them really well. Uh, it's not that it makes me uncomfortable. It's just distracting. It's like, I'd rather not. (laughs) Yeah. And then I forget what it's funny. I forget what the fourth category is right now, but, um, anyways, uh, that's kind of, those are kind of some of the big things I should know it better considering that it's my diagnosis, but um, I'm also not going into psychiatry, so I maybe I'll excuse myself for not. being yes.
0: no, no, <laughs> and I did not give you a heads up that I would be asking this either. But, um, okay, so something I do want to talk about is you talk about the fact that you're personally able to mask a lot of these things, right? And a lot of people that know you and aren't in like your close circle might not realize these things about you and so you talk about being able to mask these things really well and I'm just curious is that like something common for people with autism like are you generally able to mask these things quite well
1: I think um masking is a very common thing that autistic people feel obligated to do, some some of them do. I sh- Again, I should qual- um, clarify, I'm not trying to speak for every autistic person, <clears throat> but I think that it's, it's a very exhausting thing that most of us or many of us do just to kind of go about through the world and not be perceived as strange, I think, for me. So, um, I mean, the discomfort of knowing how someone would perceive me if I didn't look them in the eye sort of like weighs on me. And so then I force myself to look at the, them in the eye, but then that's exhausting and so you mask all day and then you get home and you're like, Oh man, like I really have nothing left to give right now at the end of this day. Cause you've, you've put so much energy just into, um, kind of fitting the neurotypical mold when that's not who you are
0: yeah no that makes a lot of sense and you did mention that like you were diagnosed as an adult so I'm curious like if the masking was something you did even prior to being diagnosed like do you know what I'm saying like now that you know that you do have autism it's like it's maybe more of a conscious masking. And I'm curious if it was a conscious masking prior to your diagnosis. I guess probably
1: the answer to that would be prior to the diagnosis, I was not consciously masking. I was just doing what I needed to do to, to function well and to, to get by.
0: Um, in retrospect, I was very clearly masking.
1: So but you now, were
0: masking, but like kind of in a different yeah. way. Yeah. Okay.
1: And then I was diagnosed and I had a funny swing of the pendulum after that for a period of months where I kind of experimented with not masking. And Jared says that was the time that I got really mean. (laughs) Like, I shouldn't laugh. I wasn't mean, like, you know, I was just blunt. And he's like, you should, you know, maybe think about swinging the pendulum back the other way. because it was, I would just say whatever I wanted. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't feel very good. So that's not something I'm going to (laughs) do in the future. Um, But yeah, now now I kind of, uh, I'm much more uh, self aware of what I'm doing and why. um.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so let's go back to those four different categories. You gave us examples in all of those categories, right? And I even said I relate to some of those in those categories. But there's that, I keep forgetting the term, Jen, like there's like the, what is it, like the functional deficit? Is that the term? And like, I don't know if that's the term, but that's the word I'm using to describe that part. Like you act, like you need a functional deficit in order to get a diagnosis, right? So people can be sensitive to light and or loud noises or certain, you know, like I have a tag on my bra right now, and I'm like, I hate this tag so much, and I need to cut it off, but. What does it look like to have just some of these, like, and I'm using air quotes here, like, what does it look like to have some of these quirks, right, versus having these characteristics and it being related to autism?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think that would look different for every single individual person who has autism. For me, it manifested a lot in medical school and it showed up a lot in my interactions with people and sort of this mismatch between what my intentions were and how uh, you know I was being perceived um it was a very odd lack of congruence between you know getting like the best feedback i could ever imagine like 95% of the time but then having a couple off times where things were so catastrophic um and certainly i i think that i'll, I'll this is a good segue into autistic MD, I guess, but I can how I feel like medicine is also not a very friendly place to those with disabilities at times, and so I think there was you know responsibility on both sides there. But for me, um, that's that's how that manifested, and that's how and why I decided to um, officially pursue the diagnosis because I knew it it was affecting my life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was affecting your life and um, you went through med school while you were, you know, navigating this too and then created this autistic MD. And so maybe we can talk about that now and like what your vision for autistic MD is. I know it has a lot to do with like kind of like you said, medicine isn't really, um, necessarily like super supportive for students who have these types of diagnosis, diagnosis, right? Uh, and I would say like
1: some, in some ways they are, I genuinely think the people in, um, undergraduate medical education, we call it like you and me, I think they're all good people with good intentions. And I think there's a lot of intention there to support students. And there are some official ways where that's done, but I think the actual um, like raw material of what people with disabilities actually need to succeed in medicine is maybe not really well woven into the whole profession itself, not even just education, but the entire thing, right? Uh, I think the intent, I, I guess I should, Um, and emphasize that I think the intentions are good I I I hate to go through the world
0: thinking there's malice there but I think that there's just a lot of work to be done Mm -hmm. and so is that kind of your vision with autistic MD then
1: yeah so I'll I'll kind of talk about I'll explain a few terms um because I when you and I talked before this podcast I realized there were a lot of things that I now definitions I now take for granted about how medical school works so I'll explain a few of those things and then I'll kind of talk into you know what that. there's two incidents really that in in my um at the end of medical school that prompted me to start autistic MD so I'll kind of explain the motivation behind that and go from there so um The first half of medical school is called pre clerkship and this looks like you know your typical university where you're taking classes writing exams. Um, The second half is called clerkship um, or your clinical rotation, so this is more like a practical experience where you're like on the job you're doing several weeks of many different areas of medicine. Like family medicine internal medicine obstetrics surgery pediatrics anesthesia, emergency medicine, etc, so. Um, that's kind of how that looks and then a few other miscellaneous things so sometimes you'll hear me say a staff that means like a fully qualified physician they're responsible for doing something called your IDER, and that's an evaluation at the end of the rotation um, sometimes you'll also hear people refer to a staff as like your preceptor so the person who's kind of evaluating you um, sometimes you work with that person for a week If it's um, not the end of your rotation or time for your ITER evaluation, then they'll just pass along that feedback verbally to the next staff supervising you. Um, Sometimes you'll just have a staff supervising you for one day, so there's a mix of, of evaluation there. And then sort of the basic structure of who's responsible at the med school level. So you have, picture like a pyramid at the top, you have the Associate Dean of Medicine, and that's the person who's kind of overseeing the whole MD program. Then you have the assistant dean of clerkship who oversees students doing your clinical rotations, that kind of second half of med school. Um, In that part, you also have clerkship directors. They're responsible for each individual rotation. So you have like the family medicine clerkship director working under the assistant dean of clerkship. Um, You also have an assistant dean of pre clerkship who's overseeing those in the first half of the program. So anyways, um, like there's this whole hierarchy of you know, there's the staff who's directly evaluating you, but you also have a number of people involved with the med school itself who have to ensure you're competent to pass each element of the the program. Um, And then I guess, you know, there's, I think what a lot of students notice is that staff physicians have a lot of power and sway. If there's ever any kind of conflict, um, it's sort of their word against yours. And of course they're fully qualified physicians. So it's really not easy for their, um, your word to win against theirs. Um, if an issue ever does get brought to you and me. Um, so, you know, they hold a substantial amount of power and control over students. And some might argue this power is, can be weaponized against them and not used appropriately. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to disparage anyone. I don't want to talk down about anyone. I really want to make this about kind of positive change. So I, I'm going to be careful not to make the instance too descriptive. Uh, I don't want to, anyone but the the first happened um on a rotation and a preceptor had feedback for me that was delivered to me indirectly after you know a few days of working with them and they thought that i had inadequately managed adhd were the exact words um and you know autism and adhd actually have a ton of overlap which that could be a podcast in and of itself um, and I've been evaluated for both. And I, I don't have ADHD, I'm just autism. Um, but you know, regardless, the feedback was really highly inappropriate. Uh, feedback should be based on things that are actionable, that students can change. Um, certainly, um, you know, presumption of a diagnosis is not Uh, an appropriate thing to say to someone Um, so unfortunately you know I didn't feel like I had UME's support when I was dealing with that issue and the preceptor didn't apologize to me for their feedback so that was a first incident that led to me feeling quite powerless Um, the second incident occurred less than a month later where um, I was admonished for a mistake I made on the wards. it was a communication error that I made as a learner so I stood there for 10 minutes or so in a public hallway while this person berated me in front of the nurse I'd been working with that day. The tone was extremely hostile and this person continued while I, you know, gripped my clipboard tighter and tighter to my chest. You know, my posture became more and more stooped and I started to cry and it, nevertheless she, you know, persisted and continued with with this. So, um, you know, I was really stressed out. A member of the public could have walked by at any moment. That's obviously really embarrassing being so public um and the aftermath of that was when I disclosed to the school that I'm autistic because obviously I felt that had a role in the communication error and in sort of how I ended up responding to the situation which I obviously was very upset um and in at that stage I I did feel supported in some ways but I felt felt let down by you and me in a lot of other ways so um the outcome is that's kind of what motivated me to start autistic md you know I uh, I really felt like the associate dean, he went to bad for me and supported me in successfully passing that rotation. Um, where I didn't feel supported was that a lot of the time the dialogue felt quite punitive. Um, I didn't really feel believed about a lot of the experiences that I shared. And someone associated with you me who I won't name told me if you're asking me whether I believe you or the preceptor, I believe the preceptor. And I can't tell you what powerlessness I felt in that moment and I think literally that exact moment was when autistic MD was born (laughs) so
0: yeah um
1: and I think you know
0: a lot of people who relate to your story um can probably relate to that just feeling like they're not being heard by other people or taken seriously yeah. And it's it's funny because
1: it, autistic MD was really born from something that didn't have anything to do with autism per se, like indirectly, you know, I guess my reasoning is I can't, I can't change the culture of medicine, nor can I change, you know, interpersonal challenges are inherent within any workplace for any person autistic or not autistic. Right. But I do think when talking about the two major triggers for this project, um, there's this fundamental assumption that those of us in medicine that get into medical school, not only do you have to be intelligent and capable and hardworking, but also by virtue of those things, there's another invisible presumption that you don't have a disability. And I just wonder what those preceptors, if they had known about my, my disability, if I had disclosed that to them, whether they would have perceived me in the same way and I them, I definitely don't blame them for not knowing I was autistic, but you know, I do hold them accountable for not looking at me with more curiosity and compassion, and I think maybe if we had more awareness that there are plenty of people with autism, ADHD and, you know, mental and physical disabilities alike in medicine this kind of thing wouldn't happen to learners. So I decided to start this website um, with actually, I think since you and I have talked, I've got another autistic physician on board, and he fantastic um uh, I won't name him yet because we're still getting things all all you know sorted but he's wonderful we worked together he was actually one of my super like superiors when he was a one of the physicians on a rotation I was on and I was um a med student
0: incredible that's amazing yeah
1: so we got this website we're planning to um really try to bring awareness to disabilities in medicine um and and essentially start a podcast and start writing articles about this and really get the awareness out there that this is a thing um and this autistic he's also a resident physician so he's a trainee as well this physician that i'm working with he had this great idea to also make it like there's going to be a support arm or branch to the website and so he's going to be kind of in charge of that and just like trying to set up some kind of support group for those of us like even if it's a once a month chat and he and i were like look if no one comes to this It'll just be you and I on Zoom, and that's fine too, because we're like, you
0: know, friends at this point. So that's I am fine. sure the two of you are going to help <laughs> so many people. I love that so much. So imagine, Jen, if you were like, if that was available to you during med school, being able to hop on this call with these two people who have already gone through med school and who know exactly where you are, you know, like what types of support would have you been looking for? I think the most
1: helpful support so far has been the informal support of those who are like me. So I think that would have been very helpful in the moment. There are supports available. Um, You know, each med school has like a student advising and wellness office where they'll have like counselors that you can talk to They're physician counselors so they're not therapists but um personally i just didn't i didn't find it to be a helpful resource for me in the issues that i was dealing with um you know they have the physician and family support program here in alberta which is a line you can call 24 7 to get counseling and so there's there's that but again i think disabilities like autism are um i think there's a of sometimes a lack of awareness of well what do we do about this one right like people seem to kind of throw their hands up in the air and not really know how to handle a disability in medicine so for me I I know that the culture won't necessarily change or at least not very fast but what I do have power over is my ability to connect with others and to form meaningful relationships and so I think if that had been available to me if I had known that there was an easily accessible resource where I could you know, meet with other, other people like me on zoom, that, that support alone, I think would have been um, extraordinary for me.
0: Awesome. Well, I love that the two of you are doing this and it's so great that you have another physician on board. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Well, I should also mention um, someone else on Instagram reached out to me. He is uh, also a resident physician and he has ADHD and was like, I have no idea what your mission is it this was when I posted just my very first photo being like you know autistic MD is coming in June um stay tuned and uh he he replied and we started direct messaging and he was like I don't even know what your plan is but like I'm on board so um you know he may he may be involved too we'll see um and I'm definitely open to to others for sure like the more the merrier
0: yeah so if anyone's listening to this episode (laughs) right now they can always reach out to you if they're curious but I will definitely have all of your links in the show notes it's so exciting that you're doing a podcast as well do you know some of like the topics that you'll be talking about on the podcast like any ideas as far as episode topics so our listeners can get excited for those (laughs) so I thought about a few things and some of them are actually not even related
1: to um, autism so this is where my brain's kind of um getting away with me because I'm so inspired and I get I have so many ideas for so many different directions but for sure one topic will be you know trying to interview people in medicine with disabilities people involved in I think like if I could get like a a med school administrator, I don't think this is likely, but if I could get like a clerkship dean of any med school in Canada to talk to me about like disabilities in medicine, just their approach and what can we do differently or better? Like that would be amazing too, right? Just anyone who's involved in policy at the med school level. Um, The other thing is, you know, as a former social worker, I'm super keen on humanism in medicine and people's stories. And so, As my own little project, I'm kind of like, again, this is, I got to keep my, my vision like narrow and not like get too carried away with myself, but I'm like, Hey, is there a way I can also just try to find some arm of the website to talk about like people's stories and people's experiences of medicine? Um, Like the patient experience. I mean, like, okay, you were diagnosed with X condition. Um, What was your experience of that? Right. Like, I guess I just find those kinds of stories so compelling and it, it makes it more, I think, Um, interesting to someone who's maybe not in medicine and is not interested in the politics of medicine that's kind of another idea that I've had but I will say like I'm still spending the next few weeks sort of getting everything together and and getting the first post for the website done so it'll be a few weeks um still but uh in that time I'm hoping to nail things down a little bit more I really should have had that that answer ready to go and more uh more concise for you when you're asking. No,
0: that's, that's great. Because that's
1: still nailing you on the exact vision. <laughs> yes,
0: awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I know everyone's going to have at least a few takeaways from this episode and just be inspired by you. So thanks, Jen.
1: Thanks for having me.